Welcome to the Forward Church Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon from our 2020 series, The God Who Creates. For more information about Forward, giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com. It's so wonderful to hear the church lifting up praises to Jesus and hearing the name of Jesus over and over again because his name is so worthy. And welcome to Forward Church. I'm glad that you're here with us this weekend. You know, one of our core values at Forward is that we are worshipers. And I've been thinking about that over the last couple of weeks and really praying over that and what that means. And I think one of the things that's come to mind for me is just this phrase, authenticity over entertainment. Because I believe when we are authentic worshipers, that's when we experience the presence of God just like we just did. You see, we can have excellent musicians, excellent vocalists, and excellent tech team, and we do. But if they're just excellent in what they do, then it's going to fall short. But when they're authentic in what they do, and when we are authentic with our hearts before God, then it brings in this presence of God like we're feeling right now. So I'm just thankful for that. I'm thankful for you as worshipers. I'm thankful for this team. I'm thankful for what God's doing here. So just welcome to Forward. I'm glad you're here. This time, what I want to do, though, is dismiss our four kids in Propel Ministries, and we're going to pray for them as they go. Their teachers are going to meet them out there in the atrium and take them to their classrooms so they can learn about Jesus, and then we're going to learn about Jesus in here as we continue studying through his word. But as they go, I'm going to pray. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for your presence in this place today. God, we're thankful that when we come before you with authentic hearts and we bow before you and we lift up the name of Jesus, that you show up and you minister to our hearts. And Father, my prayer is that you continue to do that as we dig into your word, because this whole experience is a worship experience through singing, through the study of your holy scriptures, through prayer. So God, I pray that you would move mightily among us, that your spirit would be felt, that your spirit would minister to our hearts. God, I pray that we would be changed by this experience this morning of having you here with us and among us, and Lord, that we would, we would grasp onto you, we would grab a hold of you, and that, that you would grab a hold of us, that you would change us from the way that we came in, that as we leave here today, we would know that we have encountered Almighty God. Father, I pray over the children that just left this room, Lord, just speak into their lives through the volunteers, the teachers that are going to teach them about the gospel of Jesus. Father, would you do an amazing work like only you can do? Would you do it through the power of your Holy Spirit that is present among us? Move me to the side that I would not be seen, but that you would be seen through your Holy Scriptures as we study this morning. We pray this in the powerful and the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Man, well, I'm glad that you're here and you chose to be with us today. It's always a blessing to, to be a part of the gathering on the weekend. I love being a part of this church. It's, it's just wonderful. And we are studying through the Bible this year. We're just going straight through the whole Bible. And we're hitting the main stories, the main themes, and we're looking at how Jesus is there in every scripture that we look at. And, and we're in the ninth week of our study through the Bible in a year. And I hope that you're continuing to read through God's Word um, that's a, a challenging task, but it's one that, as I said before, it will radically transform you. It will change you. You know, um, one thing I've noticed is that there are seasons where I go through, I'm, I'm always in God's Word, I'm always studying, but sometimes I go through a season where I'm doing just some devotionals, and, and I'm lacking the, the actual reading time in His Word. And I've noticed that when I'm just doing devotionals, while they are good, um, that something's missing. 
But when I'm digging into and I'm reading God's word and I'm immersing myself in his word, that's when transformation happens. That's when growth happens. That's when I really get on fire for the Lord. So I hope that you're doing that. If you're not yet, then I'm challenging you to get in there, get in the word, try to get through the Bible in a year, reading through so that God's word can transform you because it will be an amazing thing for you. Listen, today what we're doing is we're coming to one of my favorite stories in Scripture. I, I know I say that a lot. I'm like, this is my favorite passage. Well, I guess I've got a lot of favorite passages. But I really like this part of the story because it tells us about a weak man who became a strong man. It tells us about an immature man who became mature through encountering God. It tells us about a broken man who was used by God in amazing ways. Because you see, we're learning more about Jacob today, and Jacob is probably one of the most messed up individuals in all of Scripture. He was one of the patriarchs. He's one of the patriarchs of our faith, yet he was just completely messed up. I mean, all the patriarchs had their issues, right? As we're reading through the Bible, if you've never done it before, you're probably learning, wow, Abraham, he, he really messed up. Wow, you know, th these guys, Moses and, and Noah, I mean, these guys had their issues. When we come to Jacob, and we find out that this guy was a complete mess, and while they have their issues, that gives us hope, right? Because how many of us have issues? You don't have to raise your hand, but I'll raise mine, right? We've got issues. We mess up. We make mistakes. But we see as we read through God's word that there is hope for us because God uses even these broken, messed up people for his purposes. So Jacob, we know it was a mess. And last week, Pastor Blake did a, a great job of introducing us to Jacob and Esau and how God chose to work through their lives. If you missed last week, go to the podcast. You need to listen to that. The sermon was fantastic, and it really helps us understand um, a little bit of Jacob and Esau as they were growing up together. And, and I want you to remember that before Jacob and Esau were even born, the Bible tells us that, that Jacob and Esau were wrestling inside of Rebekah's stomach. So Rebekah prays to the Lord, and, and God tells her that you have twins in your womb and and they will become two different nations and he tells her that they will be divided and that the oldest would serve the youngest so he tells her this and sure enough she gives birth to twins and the second son well the first son came out and his name was Esau they named him Esau because he was red and hairy remember which sounds kind of weird kind of crazy if you have a red hairy baby but that's what the bible says so they named him Esau because of that and then the second son comes out and he's grabbing onto the heel of the oldest brother so they name him Jacob and that name means grabber and that name would be an appropriate descriptor of Jacob's life that he's a grabber because Jacob lived his life grabbing onto anything that he could get a hold of to claim for himself. Jacob lived his life about himself, about grabbing what can I attain, what can I have, including the birthright and the blessing that should have gone to his older brother Esau, right? So the, the birthright and blessing would go to the oldest, to the firstborn, but Jacob deceived him and he grabbed onto that for himself. So they lived this life wrestling with each other and we learn that Jacob is a deceiver, he's a cheat, he's a manipulator, he's a con man. Jacob is not the kind of guy we would want to hang out with. We would not like Jacob, right? But yet somehow, as, a, as a, um, Blake explained last week, you know, we find out that Esau hated him and, and he's mad at him. And then the time comes for Isaac to die, their father, he's going to die. And Esau basically said this, he's like, well, I'm going to mourn for my dad for a period of time and then I'm going to kill my brother. Jacob's a dead man. I'm going to kill him for what he's done to me, for stealing my birthright. He's been deceiving me all his life. He's, he's done. So 
what happens is Rebecca, his mom, their mom, she hears of Esau's plan, so she tells Jacob, you've got to run away. You've got to go. You've got to go to my brother and, at Laban and stay with him so that you're safe. And while he's away, Jacob settles with his uncle Laban, and he marries two of Laban's daughters. It's another situation that's riddled with deceit. It's riddled with drama. I mean, it's just a complete mess. Because Laban, it turns out, is almost Jacob's equal when it comes to manipulation and deceit. So, I mean, this story, it reads like a romantic mystery novel as you're trying to figure out, you know, who, who did it and what's going to happen and who's going to prevail. And Jacob, he just continues to live by his own desires. He's trying to obtain everything he can in his own strength, in his own power. He's trying to manipulate life to working out best for him as he can. And he manipulates and he lies and he cheats. And like I've said before, he's just a mess. Yet, even in all that mess of a life, God, our creator, still remembers his promise. That's what we've been learning over this whole series. God remembers and keeps his promise. He remembers his promise to make a great nation out of Abraham's descendants. And that promise is to be fulfilled through Jacob. Through Jacob, who's a complete mess, whom we would today, if we knew Jacob, we'd be like, there's no way God's going to use this guy to do great and amazing things. Isn't that good news for us? That's great news for us. No matter how messed up our life is, God can still use us, and he will fulfill his promise to us when we receive him, when we follow him, when we receive what he has for us. Now, throughout his life, Jacob, he had acknowledged God. He would have claimed to have known God. He would have said that I know God because his grandfather knew God, his father knew God. But Jacob wasn't fully submitted to God. You see, he had these moments where he encountered God and he would give God the credit and then he would simply revert back to his own ways, grabbing at life, trying to manipulate things for himself so that he would come out on the better end of things. You see, I think a lot of us can relate to that. I mean, how often... Have you acknowledged God? You believe in God. You claim to follow God, yet you still try to manipulate life into turning out how you desire for it to turn out, into gaining and grabbing the things for yourself that you want. I think all of us can relate to that, and that's where Jacob is. God had shown up to him in a dream, and he promised that the nations would be blessed through him and that God would be with him. Yet Jacob, he would revert back to his heel-grabbing ways, trying to achieve things on his own. See, this is a story of how God would take a mess of a life, a messed-up, selfish life, and he would turn it into something that would be used for God's great purpose. Because Jacob would eventually become the father of 12 sons, who then would become the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. Throughout the lineage of Jacob, the Messiah would be born. See, God had great plans for him. And God will begin to identify himself even by using Jacob's name because God is known as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Hebrews 11 lists Jacob as one of the heroes of the faith. So how does that happen? How did Jacob, the heel grabber, the deceiver, the con man, become a man of God? I want us to look at that today. We're going to see how God gradually changed Jacob. And from Jacob's story, we're going to glean insight into how God can gradually grow us into maturity and how he can use us for his purposes as well. 
You see, I think Jacob's maturing as a follower of God began when he left home. I don't think he knew God yet, really, when he left home. And as he left home to to flee Esau, and he was going to the safety of his uncle Laban's home, on that journey, he decided to bed down for the night in a place called Luz. So he stops in Luz, and the Bible says that the sun had set. So Jacob grabbed a stone for a pillow and went to sleep. Now, I think that sun had set, it means that the sun had set, it was getting dark, and he was ready to go to sleep. Some say that's a literary device, also to to give a picture of his life that he kind of felt like the sun was setting on his life. Esau is about to kill him. He's running for his life. He's, he's scared. You got to remember, Jacob was not an outdoorsman. He was not a hunter like Esau. Jacob was kind of spoiled, right? And he was more of the, the indoor kind of guy. So he's out on the run. The, the sun is set. There's wild animals. He's, all he has is a stone to lay his head on. He's terrified. So the sun is literally setting on his life as he's afraid that Esau is going to find him and kill him. So Jacob is at the end of his rope. Jacob is, is really at the end, and, and maybe you've heard the saying that God resides at the end of our rope. You see, often it's when we get to the very end of ourselves, when we feel like, I can't grab anymore, I can't hold on to anymore, I've been, I've been climbing, and now I'm at the end of the rope, and I have nowhere else to go. It's there that we often find God, and it's there where God shows up for Jacob. He's at the end of his rope, he's laying his head on the stone, and he, he falls asleep, and when he falls asleep, he has a dream. He has this dream, and it's a vision where God shows up. And God shows up in this vision, and in this vision, he sees a ladder. And in this, on this ladder, it reaches all the way up to heaven, and angels were climbing up and down this ladder, and, and God, who was right there with Jacob, it says, made promises to Jacob, made some pr- promises that he had made to Abraham and he had made to Isaac. And he says, I'm going to give you this land. He says, your offspring will fill the earth. And he says, I will be with you. The Bible says when Jacob woke up, he was terrified. He was scared. He, he, was, he was like, what, what? This is that very house of God where I am. This is the gate of heaven. And he uses the stone that he had laid his head on, and he makes it into a pillar. He pours, pours oil over it, and he renames that place Bethel because he calls it the house of God. So you see, Jacob, he, he sees God, he has this vision of God, and, and while he's kind of starting to understand and know and believe that God is with him, he makes a little bit of a mistake because he says, this is the house of God, I'm going to put a stone here, this is where God resides, but what God was saying is, I will be with you. And you see, often I think we think this building, this is the house of God, and yes, it's the house of God, but guess what? This isn't where God resides. God says, I will be with you. When you receive Christ into your life, your heart becomes the house of God. Your soul, your spirit inside of you is where God resides. So you as a Christian become the house of God, meaning God is with you wherever you go. But we see Jacob, he sets this up and he says, this is the house of God and I've encountered God. And and he made a, a vow to God at that very moment. You see, I think the lights are finally coming on for Jacob. He's experiencing God and he's saying, now I, I'm starting to get it. In Genesis 28, 20, here's what he said. He said, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all of you and all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. So something has happened to Jacob. Something has happened to him where he now believes 
God. He now believes that God is with him. He now believes in the God of, of the Bible, the God creator of all things. He now believes in God. And because he believes the promises that God made to him, he says, I'm going to give you a tenth of everything that I receive. I'm going to give it back to you, God. And this is what is known as a tithe. So we see this in scripture now. It's a tithe, and it wasn't commanded at the time, but it was something that, that he says, because I trust in you, God, I'm going to give a tithe. And this is a very significant vow because up until this point, Jacob had been the grabber. Jacob was greedy. Jacob wanted everything for himself. Jacob didn't see any of his possessions as being God's possessions. He saw it all as his. How much more can I attain? How much more can I get? How much more can I get for me? But now after this experience, he agrees that he's going to share 10% of everything with God. And we see as we learn more about Jacob that God blesses that devotion. Listen, I want to tell you today, if you really want to mature as a follower of Jesus, if you really want to mature as a, a Christian, the quickest, most tangible way to grow spiritually is to begin to tithe. Tithing is giving 10% of your income to God. And when we tithe, it forces us to trust that God can make nine-tenths go further than we can make ten-tenths go. And when we trust in that, tithing constantly reminds us where our blessings come from. And when we give that tithe, it immediately puts our interest in the kingdom of God instead of in the things of this world. And I can tell you that it's amazing how God supernaturally does more with nine-tenths than we can do with ten-tenths. He multiplies it, he spreads it, he brings blessing. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I have found that the things that I invest in the things that I'm willing to give to are things that I really care about. And those are the things that I then pay attention to. If my heart is really into something, then I'm willing to put money there, no matter what it may be. And Jacob finally trusts in God by tithing, and we see him begin to grow. Now, something that's important here is I think many of us, we think, you know, as I mature, as I get stronger as a Christian, as I grow, then I'll, I'll grow into, okay, then I'll start giving a tithe. Jacob, from the very beginning, says, because I believe in what God's going to do, I'm going to tithe, and then we see him begin to spiritually grow. That's the difference. That's what makes such a huge difference in your life. When you trust in God and say, okay, because of that, God, I'm going to let go of, I'm going to stop grabbing everything, and I'm going to let go of it, and I'm going to see what you do with it. And we see God do amazing things in Jacob's life. We see in the chapters to come that he even becomes very successful at everything he does. Listen. If you really want to grow as a Christian, become a tither. When you do, it's amazing how your heart follows and you become more kingdom-minded. So we see Jacob, he begins to grow in his faith, but he finds out pretty quickly that along with faith comes testing. And that's something else we've been learning as we've read through the, straight through the Bible and as we've learned the, the stories of these believers, these people following God, is that their faith was always tested. So Jacob arrives in Haran and he falls in love with Rachel. Rachel in the Bible is described as beautiful, and Jacob was infatuated with her. So he goes to Laban, and he asks for Rachel's hand in marriage, and, they, and then he agrees to work for seven years in order to marry Rachel. And the Bible says that those seven years were like a few days for Jacob because of his incredible love for Rachel. Finally, the day after the end of those seven years comes for the marriage ceremony, and it's the craziest wedding in history. I think this is where soap operas get their inspiration from. Because you can't make this stuff up. 
It's in the Bible, though. When you read the Bible, you get amazed by, wow, this is just crazy stuff that happened. How can people do this kind of thing? But Laban, instead of sending Rachel to marry Jacob, he tricks Jacob because it's a nighttime wedding and the, the, the bride wears a veil. So he sends his other daughter, Leah, as a substitute for Rachel. So the wedding's at night. She has this veil on and, and nobody knows. Jacob doesn't know what's happened until the next morning. Genesis 9, or 29, 25 says, it's in the morning. Behold, it was Leah, exclamation mark, right? Because it's like, what? What just happened? Jacob wakes up, and next to him, he's like, wait a minute. This isn't Rachel. What's happened to me? And he says, did I not serve? He says, what is it you've done to me? Did I not serve with you, Rachel, for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Now, I find it interesting that Laban is a deceiver as well. And Laban simply says, hey, you know, you know that it's not our custom to give the younger daughter before the firstborn. The firstborn is the one that, that, that is given first in marriage. Now, Jacob knew all about the customs of the firstborn because he had cheated his brother, Esau, out of the firstborn rights. So Jacob had no argument. Jacob learned a very important biblical lesson here. He learned that a man reaps what he sows. The deceiver had been deceived. See, Jacob had lived most of his life cheating other people. He lived most of his life deceiving other people. That life he lived was coming back upon him. Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. You know, I would say that many of us in this room have learned that same lesson. We know that when we love people, we'll reap love. If we exploit people, guess what? We'll one day be exploited. I mean, that's a law of God, as true and reliable as the law of gravity. You can count on it. What you sow, you will reap. And I know in my life, when I sow generosity, then I reap generously. When I sow love, I reap love. When I sow faithfulness, I reap faithfulness. And I think we could all do good to begin sowing the things that we desire to reap in life. You see, Uncle Laban, he was slick. Uncle Laban was a deceiver as well, and he uses Jacob's infatuation with Rachel to get him to work another seven years for him so that he could have Rachel. So Jacob agrees, and what happens is the Bible tells us that after a week of serving, it looks like Rachel was given to him in marriage, but he's bound to that seven years, so he serves another seven years for Laban. Now, he now has two wives within a week of each other, and you can just see trouble coming, right? I mean, the trouble's not over for Jacob. The trouble is just starting to begin. It's really brewing. I mean, he's got two wives within a week, and, and you see that, that this isn't going to turn out good. Now, quick side note, this begs the question, is, God, is it God's will to have multiple wives? Is it okay? People ask that. You know, in the Bible, people have multiple wives. In the Old Testament, why is it that they have several wives? Well, no, it's not God's will. In fact, the Mosaic law would later forbid it, Biblical, the, the biblical record is just showing us how much grief that brings upon them. Because every time you see this in the Bible, you see that it's a mess. You see it does not turn out well for the people involved. So no, it's not something that the Bible condones, but the Bible records it so that we can see how we need to stay away from that. So Jacob spends 14 hard years. He's serving Laban to receive his wives, and then he serves another six years for livestock, 20 difficult years that Jacob is maturing through. You see, God often allows difficult circumstances in our lives as opportunities to mature us in our faith. 
Jacob had that experience where he had the vision of the ladder and he's accepting God and saying, I'm going to give 10% to you and I'm going to follow you and, and, and this is the house of the Lord and, and he's, he's, he's excited about following God and then he goes through these very difficult 20 years. Listen, don't ever think that because you're a Christian you'll be exempt from some really hard times. See, I think we sometimes think, you know, man, I became a Christian, I devoted my life to Christ, why is, this, why is, why is life so hard? God, I feel like I'm following you. I feel like I'm being obedient to you, but why are things falling apart around me? Why is this so difficult? Well, we see in, in the biblical records that, that Christians and people that follow God still experience hardship. But it's through those times of hardship, it's through those circumstances that we mature. You see, as Christians, we still experience death. We still experience sickness. We still experience our, our business failure. We still experience heartache. There's still hard times that come, but it's through those hard times when we understand God is with us, as he promises to be, that we grow and we mature. I like how James 1, 2 through 4 in the Amplified Version says this, says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance Finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It's kind of hard to think that we would consider it joy when we go through hard times. But when we understand the way that God works, when we see how he's worked throughout scripture, when we can trust in and believe that he is with us and that he's working it out for his good, then we can say, okay, I understand God is with me and I, I am maturing through this. God, how can you use this difficult time to grow me closer to you? You see, Jacob, we see him growing through difficult times. And the last six years of his service to Laban, he begins to flourish. He begins to gain incredible wealth. And after those 20 years, God tells Jacob to go back home and, and he promises that he'll be with him once again. Now, there's some more drama with Laban. I don't have time to get into that. You can read it. But the, the bottom line is that God is with Jacob. God causes him to flourish because Jacob has been tithing and giving back to him and being, being obedient to God. So we see God blessing him in that. And, and um, Jacob then begins to go back home because God says, go back home, I'm going to be with you. Now, when he had left 20 years ago, remember his brother Esau was vowing to kill him. And he must have wondered over those 20 years, has, has Esau cooled down a little bit? Or is this just stewed his anger? Is he just angry with me? And as soon as he sees me, is he going to try to take me out? So what he does, Jacob being who he is in his character, he, he sends out some messengers to scout out the situation, to go ahead of him and, and let Esau know that Jacob was coming with peace offerings. He's like, you know, I've got all this wealth. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to use that to my advantage to let Esau know that, hey, I'm coming back. I want peace. You can have a lot of this. You've got a lot of riches. I've got a lot of wealth. Here, here's some gifts for you. Well, those messengers, they come back to Jacob, and they're like, hey, Jacob, we, we need to let you know, Esau is on his way towards you, and he's got 400 men with him. Now, 400 men, that's an army. And Jacob immediately thinks, Esau's coming after me. He's going to kill me. He, he's going to take me out. So Jacob fears the worst. He divides his camp into two camps in hopes that someone will survive. He's thinking, you go over there, half of us, and the other half will go over here. And then when, when Esau attacks, the rest of you flee, and that way some of us will get away alive hoping some could escape and then he comes up with a plan and he sends out three droves of messengers with peace offerings with gifts for Esau in hopes that he could win back his brother and we notice something very different about Jacob at this point because instead of wrestling with people to get his way instead of wrestling with others he turns to wrestling with God 
The Bible says that he turns to God in prayer, and he calls out to God to deliver him. And in that prayer, he reminds God of his promises to bring blessing to him through his offspring. So he, he reminds God of some of the promises. And when we see this, I think this is very important for us to understand and know that God didn't need to be reminded, did he? God knew the promise he'd made. God keeps his promises. But it's important for us, and it was important for Jacob, to reiterate those promises. When we're in prayer, if we go before God and we say, God, I'm struggling, I'm hurting, this is a hard time for me, I'm scared right now, but God, I remember your promise that you would be faithful to me. God, I remember your promise that you will make me a new creation. God, I remember your promise that you would rescue me through faith in Jesus Christ. God, I remember your promise that you'll make me a child of, your, of you. God, I remember your promise that you will one day deliver me into your kingdom. God, I remember your promise that you'll provide for my needs. And when we do that, it reminds us of God's promises, not only by us reminding him, because he knows. But it's important for us. And it grows us in our faith and it strengthens us in our faith and it strengthens Jacob as he prays this prayer, turning it over to God and saying, God, you've made these promises. I'm trusting in you. I am scared right now. I think Esau is going to come kill me, but God, I'm trusting you. You said you would take care of me. You said you would be with me. So I'm trusting in you. And that's his prayer. And then what he does is he makes provisions for his family to, to go to safety and he sends them across the river and then he stays down by the river to pray. And the Bible says that sometime during the night, he's jumped. A man shows up, jumps Jacob, and begins to wrestle with him. Jacob starts to wrestle back. And the Bible says that they wrestle all night. One can't best the other. They're wrestling. They're scraping. They're, they're in the dirt. Dust is flying. They're getting scraped up. They're getting beaten. They're getting bruised. But one can't overcome the other. And that's where I want us to really look at Scripture. If you would stand with me. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 32, verses 24 through 28, and this is very important for us. This, we stand because we honor God in his word, and this is our main text for today. It says, and Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. You can be seated. We always pray the Lord adds his blessing to the reading of his word. But here we find this incredible story where Jacob is actually wrestling with God. And I want us to notice something this here is that from, from the moment he was born, Jacob had been grabbing onto the things of this world. From the moment he was born, Jacob was grabbing onto birthrights. He was grabbing onto other people. He was grabbing onto relationships. He was grabbing onto belongings. He was trying to gather and grab onto everything that this world has to offer. And he finally learned that the only thing he should be grabbing onto is God. He finally learns in this moment. He's now grabbing onto God so tightly he will not let go. He said, I won't let you go unless you bless me. You see, I think many of us, we've been trying to grab onto finances. We've been trying to grab onto relationships. We've been trying to grab onto our family. We've been trying to grab onto things like even the church and things that are good, but they become things that are in the way when we're not grabbing onto God. And what we've got to do is we've got to grab onto God and we've got to say, God, I'm not letting go. 
God, life is hard. Life is tough. God, I'm dealing with the loss of a loved one. God, I'm dealing with financial duress. God, I, I can't provide for my family. God, I'm hurting. I'm, I'm, I'm aching, and I feel like I'm about to die, but God, I'm not letting go of you. That's what we can learn from Jacob, is that when we're at our lowest point in life, the key is not to run from God, but to run to God, grab a hold of him, and say, I'm not letting go. God, I will not let go until you bless me. And God loves to do that. He loves that kind of faith. He wants us to grab onto him, and he wants to bless us as his children. It, it gives God joy to bless his children. And we see that the angel said, from this point on, you'll no longer be known as Jacob, no longer known as the grabber, but you'll now be known as Israel, meaning he strives with God. Notice the wording there, he strives with God. Not against God, not strives in his own strength, he strives with God. Listen, there are two ways we can go through this life. Striving on our own, thinking I'm going to be good, I'm going to work hard, I'm going to attain, I'm going to achieve, I'm going to get things for myself, or striving with God, saying, God, I'm going to give my best at everything I do, but I'm going to trust you for the results. That's what this is teaching us. May we cling so tightly to God that we say we're not letting go. God, I'm not letting go no matter what. When adversity hits, we cling to the Lord instead of running from him. When, when we lose a loved one, we, we wrestle it out with God instead of trying to get through it on our own and saying, God, why? God, how? That we would wrestle with him, strive with him and say, God, I'm not letting go of you. This hurts, but I'm never letting go. When we have some kind of failure in life, may we wrestle through those feelings of failure, clinging to God, saying, I won't let you go until I see your blessing. That's what we're learning here, that you and I would become like Jacob, even though we have deceived in ways in our life, we have been cheaters in ways in our life, we have been like Jacob, but that we would say, I recognize God that you want to be with me and I'm gonna cling to you and I'm not gonna let go. May we hold on to him with all of our might. Jacob realized his wrestling match was a symbol of his entire life. His whole life he wanted to do it his way, but all along God was pursuing him, God was reaching out to him, and in his darkest moment, God grabbed a hold of him. He grabbed a hold of him, and finally Jacob was willing to surrender his life completely to God. The Bible says the next day, he got up, he met Esau, but there was no battle. Esau embraced him and welcomed him home. We see grace in this story. Because he trusted that God was with him, God was with him, and God protected him. And although his life was not free from trouble, he still had heartache, you begin to see this deeper maturity, and his life becomes focused on God. The Bible says Jacob settled in Canaan, and he had 12 sons, and those 12 sons became the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. And it's this wrestling match with God that not only grew Jacob, but it points us to Jesus. We've talked over and over again about how every story whispers his name because God became a man in this instance to wrestle with Jacob. And we see later in the New Testament, Jesus became a man to wrestle with mankind. Just as God allowed himself to be equal with Jacob, this man didn't overcome Jacob. Jacob didn't overcome this man. They wrestled all night. They were equal. Jesus came in the form of man, equal with us. 
Just as God allowed Jacob to strive with him and prevail, Jesus allowed mankind to strive with him and prevail over him. Because let me ask you a question. At any moment during that wrestling match, don't you think God could have just said, this is over, I'm done, I'm going to defeat you? At any moment, he could have defeated Jacob. Just like at any moment, Jesus could have said, this is done, I'm not taking this anymore. But God had a bigger plan. God has a bigger purpose. He wanted to rescue you. So he went through that for you so that he could take your place. So that by placing our faith in him, we could be rescued. Jesus himself said that no man could take his life, but that he would give it up. You see, God could have easily overcome. Jesus could have easily overcome. But listen to this. God allows you and he allows me to wrestle out our faith with him so that ultimately we can be changed. He has the power to overthrow you. He could do that easily. But he's looking to change you. And when you strive with him, when you cling on to him, when you wrestle with him, wrestle out the hard things of life with him, you get transformed. Could it be right now that God is wrestling with you? Is God grabbing a hold of you? Are you going through something in life and you've been trying to cling to the things of this world? You've been trying to figure it out on your own? Maybe God is trying to get your attention today and he's letting you know he's with you. He's right there with you. He's wanting you to mature through that hard time that you're going through by clinging onto him, grabbing onto him and not the things of this world. So I'd say perhaps it's time to let go of your grasp on this world and to grab onto God, clinging to him, proclaiming, I'm not letting go, God. I'm not letting go until you bless me. Another important thing to note is this. Before Genesis 32, God is only called the God of Abraham and Isaac. But it's after this wrestling match with God that God is now known as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. See, until that point, Jacob had known of his grandfather's faith. He had known of his father's faith, and he's now making his faith in God his own. See, it's possible that you've been living the faith of your grandparents. It's possible you've been living the faith of your parents. But like Jacob, you've been wrestling with life and you've been trying to do it on your own and, and you've been Christian by proclamation only. Sure, I'm a Christian, but does your life show it? Are you clinging to Jesus and everything that you go through? Or are you trying to do it on your own? Are you trying to grab the things of this world? Listen, when you truly cling to God, your life will be marked from that moment forward. You will look different, you will live different when you truly cling to God. After this wrestling match, Jacob was never the same. Why is that? Because God touched his hip, put him out of socket. He looked different when he walked. Here's what happens when you wrestle with God. God changes you. He transforms you. The Bible says he gives you a new heart. The Bible says that as Christians that our lives should look a little different. We should walk differently than the way we walked before. Maybe we walk with a little bit of a limp because life hurts. But we walk with God in that limp and we cling to him and we understand that blessing comes from him when you truly cling to God you see once you wrestle with God you'll be transformed and I want you to know if you're not a Christian yet this morning maybe you've been claiming the Christianity of your grandfather grandparents your parents that God is grabbing a hold of you today and he's saying it's time to stop grabbing onto the things of this world and it's time to grab onto him and maybe you need to wrestle with God. Maybe you need to wrestle it out with God a little bit. But the question is, are you clinging to him? 
He desires to be your God, just like he's the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And he will become your God when you place your faith in his son, Jesus Christ. You see a little bit more about this story pointing to Jesus is when we go back to the vision and the dream, the ladder that he saw, that's Jesus. You see, Jesus is the entryway into heaven. And what we see in that story, some have, have misrepresented um, it before, and they've said you know, J- that God's at the top of the ladder and that, that Jacob's at the bottom. But no, the Bible actually says that God was there with him. And what he wants you to know is that Jesus came down to earth to be with us. And if we will receive him, then he is with us all the days of our lives. He promises to never leave us, never forsake us, to be with us and to provide for us. And he will become your God when you trust in him. And then he will become the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and he's the God of Neil. And he can be your God too when you place your faith in him, when you wrestle out life with him, not against him. So I want to invite you to come to the altar, and I want you to pray a simple prayer of repentance, saying, God, forgive me for my sin. Here's where I've sinned, and I I want to turn from it. And then you receive salvation through believing in that saving grace offered to you through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Maybe you need to affirm that decision by following Jesus and believer's baptism. Maybe you've been wrestling that out with God, and you've been saying, I'm going to do things my own way. Surely I don't have to be baptized, but the Bible clearly tells us that Jesus was baptized and then tells us to follow the example of Jesus. So if you've been wrestling with that, maybe God's grabbing a hold of you today, and he's saying, why are you fighting against me on this? Strive with me. Follow me in believer's baptism, and I will pour out more blessing upon you and upon your life because you'll be proclaiming that you're following Jesus. We have a baptism today after the service. There's one scheduled for next weekend after the service as well. If you're feeling that call, if God is wrestling with you in that, come to the altar, fill out a connect card, check the baptism box, and we'd be glad to put you in that baptistry next weekend or whenever you're ready. Maybe that's what God's telling you today. Maybe you believe for some time, but you've been still trying to grab things for yourself. Today is the day you need to just let go. Wrap your arms around God because he's right there and say, God, I'm never letting go. God, I want you and nothing else. Refuse to let go unless God blesses you. He loves that kind of faith and you're guaranteed to come out transformed. We're going to do that in just a moment as we worship our God who is awesome, who is worthy to be praised, and our God who is grabbing a hold of you today. Don't walk out of here without him. Grab onto him and say, I'm never letting go. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that you are a good and gracious God. And God, so many of us have lived lives on our own. We've lived lives like Jacob, and God, we've been deceivers. And and we've been deceiving because we've claimed to be Christian, but we haven't been changed. We haven't lived the life. So God, we've been deceiving just like Jacob was. God, I pray this morning, if that's where we find ourselves, that we would come to this altar and we would bow before you and we would wrestle this out with you and we would grab a hold of you and cling to you and say, God, I'm not letting go. From this day forward, I'm grabbing onto you and I'm never letting go. And I want you to bless me. I want your blessings. And may we remember the promises you've made and may we proclaim those as we pray. God, we pray remembering that you promised to give us a new heart 
We pray remembering that you have promised to provide for us all of our needs, no matter what the circumstances. God, your promise in your word is that you will redeem us, you will restore us, you will make us new, you will give us the strength and the power by your Holy Spirit to walk in this newness of life, that God, your spirit will be with us wherever we go, that you will never leave us, you will never forsake us. God, we're reminding you of your promises today because we proclaim them and we claim them and we grasp onto them today. God, may none of us leave this room today without being changed by you. May we walk out here with a limp, metaphorically speaking, because you have touched us, because we've wrestled with you, and we've been changed and transformed by the power of your Spirit. God, we recognize that we are not worthy, but you are. We recognize that we have sinned and fallen short, but you paid the price for us. God, we repent of being grabbers, grabbers of this world. Would you change our names today to become children of God, to become those who strive with you? And may we live out the rest of our days wrestling with you and striving with you as you transform us. Thank you for your holy word. We thank you for your grace that is so abundant. We thank you that we can walk in newness of life. So God, as we repent, we open the altar, we come forward to you, we bow our lives before you, and we wrestle with you because we now understand that that's not a bad thing to wrestle with you, but that it brings blessing and newness of life. Work among us now as we worship you in Jesus' holy name. You've been listening to the Forward Church Weekly Podcast. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue in our 2020 series, The God Who Creates. For more information about Forward, giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com.